0: to see everyone here and online let me just open us in prayer and then we can we can start Uh, father we thank you for this time we can spend studying your word we do ask that you would uh, be with us keep us from error may we may we grow in our knowledge of you lord jesus may we grow in our love of you as we see uh, your plan of salvation throughout history and so we just ask that you'd bless our time that you'd be glorified in Jesus' name, amen. Okay, so as Ricardo said, and everyone here, uh, if you do have any questions, don't be shy. Uh, it's quite loud at the moment, but hopefully it will, it will subside. But uh, you can just put your hand up or just interrupt me if anything's not clear. So today we're going to look at... Uh, Genesis chapters twelve through fifty. So last week we looked at chapters one through eleven, which is known as the the primeval history, the early history, the, where we got creation, we got God's uh, plan for man and woman, uh, we got work, we got rest, we were introduced to marriage, uh, all of the the institutions and the structures that we know today were created by God. Even a seven day working week, six days of work and one day of rest uh, were created by God. They're not man-made institutions. Uh, they were created by God. At the end of chapter 11, we saw the Tower of Babel. So man uh, trying to make a name for himself, we were told in chapter 11, they, they built this sort of stairway to to heaven, and uh, they wanted sort of God to to sort of work for them, and for them to be made great. But then we come to chapter 12, and as I said last week, the, the end of chapter 11, we're introduced to this man called Abram. And so what we're going to find now through chapters 12 through 50, is this idea of God's people uh, in God's place? Some some theologians say under God's blessing. I like to, to keep the the repetition of the P. So I like to say with God's purpose. Okay, so uh, this is not unique to me. This is from other theologians, Goldingay and uh, Robert Vaughan. But it's a helpful way to think of the scriptures, actually the whole story of the Bible, God's people. So the the one could say the overarching theme of the whole Bible is God glorifying himself through getting a people for himself. So throughout the scriptures, we find this, this verse or this... Uh, statement repeated I will be their God and they will be my people all the way through the Old Testament and through the New Testament and so God glorifies himself by getting a a people for himself and uh, in the Old Testament Israel that's Israel as we will see with Abram and they're given a place they're promised a land and uh, they're given direction on how to to live to please God. And those are other books that we'll look at. Specifically Exodus. Um, uh, Lord willing next week. But that's sort of the, the framework. That we, we're going to use. Any questions so far? Anything? Okay. All good. Okay. So. Um, we're really going to do a. A flyover of these chapters. They're incredibly rich. Uh, chapters 12 through 50, they um, deal with the um, many of the stories that we know really well. So, you know, uh, think of uh, Jacob and Esau, think of Joseph, uh, many of these stories are very well known to us. Uh, the, the reason these stories are all given, because it can seem a little bit arbitrary, but what, what's going on is God is, remember who's the original audience of Genesis? Who wrote Genesis? Genesis. Moses, the original audience. Israelites where? In the wilderness, in the desert, uh, around Mount Sinai. Okay, So that's the original audience. Always really important. You want to find out who the original audience is of any any part of the Bible that you read. Otherwise, if we jump straight to ourselves, it's dangerous because it's not written to us. It is written for us, but so we first want to do the hard work of okay understanding the original context. So they were in the wilderness. They would just come out of Egypt. They'd been how how long had they been uh, in Egypt? About, scripture says four hundred and thirty years. So four hundred and thirty years they'd been in Egypt. That's, uh, yes. So it's a long time, um, and they they were slaves. At, at a certain point, they became slaves. They were oppressed. Uh, they, they start to obviously be influenced by the gods, the surrounding gods, the pagan worldviews. And so they've, they've really forgotten who they are as a, as a people. They have some sort of memory. They know that they're obviously not Egyptian, um, they, but they are confused. Remember when, when Aaron makes the golden calves? They worship them. We know that the Egyptians worshipped cows or cattle. So they're they're mixing religions, and we'll look at that when we get to Exodus. So Moses has to help the people understand who they are. Where do they come from? And he's giving us the story of of Abraham, who is the, the one that God calls, and then they need to understand the world in which they live. And so... The tribes that they're going to come into contact with, where do they come from? And so we're going to find out where the Moabites come from and the Ammonites come from and the Perizzites come from. Uh, and so they're, because remember, they're on their way to conquer this land, the land of Canaan, where all these people stay. Where do the Philistines come from? All of those things. Uh, and so they've been prepared for that. So. These stories are, are there's many, many reasons for them, but that's one of the reasons. Where do they come from? What is their identity? Who are they? And that's critical uh, for every human being. and um, if we don't find our identity in Christ, then we try and find it in, in other things, and those things cannot satisfy. But uh, if our identity is rooted in Christ, uh, then we, we are free from those, those idols. Uh, and we are free to love, we are free to forgive, uh, we are free to to be patient and kind, because we are complete in, in Christ. So, um, let's start then with Abram chapter 12, verse uh, 1. Now the Lord said to Abram, go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. And I will make it, so there you see land, God calls Abraham. At this point, he's called Abram. So Genesis 12, verse 1. Uh, to the land that I will show you, his promised land, and I will make of you a great nation, a great people, and I will bless you and make your name great. And so he has true religion. God comes down to, to man. Chapter 11, the Tower of Babel, they said, you know, we will make our name great. Chapter twelve, the Lord says to Abram, "I'll make your name great." Um, if we try and build our own kingdoms, uh, then then that's that's false religion. God says He will come and He will uh, He will make us great. He will lift us up, so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you, I will curse. And in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. And so here's the first promise, this this covenant that's made with Abraham. Promise of land, promise of a people, promise of blessing, uh, and to be a blessing to the nations. This is a very important theme. Israel was never meant to be this insular, parochial nation that hated the other nations. They were meant to be a light to the nations, to show the glory of God, to show the love of God and the grace of God, but they fail at it. Uh, And so it's only in Christ and at Pentecost, then the church now is to fulfill this mission. Uh, And Jesus even says to his disciples, you are the light of the world. And so he is the light of the world, but because we're in him, we're also called the light of the world. So this is a theme we'll pick up as well. Uh, So we're told some information there. We know that he's married to Sarai. We know that they are barren. Um, they, they leave and um, uh, go towards Canaan, verse uh, 10. Now there was a famine in the land, so Abram went down to Egypt to sojourn there, for the famine was severe in the land. When he was about to enter Egypt, he said to Sarai, his wife, I know that you are a woman beautiful in appearance, and when the Egyptians see you, they will say, this is his wife, and they will kill me. So well-known account Uh, Remember, if you were here last week, from Genesis 3, we have a promise of a serpent crusher. The seed of the woman, a human being, is going to come who will make things right. It's going to cause him tremendous pain, but he will crush the head of the serpent. And so we're on the lookout. Remember, we looked at maybe maybe it's Cain. It's not Cain. Maybe it's Abel. It's not Abel either. Uh, maybe it's Noah, and then Noah gets drunk. Well, we start off thinking maybe it's Abram. Maybe Abram's the guy. Well, immediately we, we find out he's not the guy because he's more worried about saving his own skin than his wife's honor. He's, uh, he allows his wife to be taken. So verse 14, when Abram entered Egypt, the Egyptians saw that the woman was very beautiful. And when the princes of Pharaoh saw her, they praised her to Pharaoh, and the woman was taken into Pharaoh's house. And for her sake, he dealt well with Abram, and he had sheep, oxen, male donkeys, etc. So Abram gets blessed uh, through the sin, even, and um, he does it again later on. And his son Isaac does it as well. Okay, so some, some, uh, also some parenting lessons here to. You know, Abram doesn't seem to correct this. His son Isaac also picks up on the practice. So Abram does it again in chapter 20, which we'll look at in more detail when we get there. And then Isaac himself uh, also says to, to Rebecca, you know, tell them you're my sister, so they don't kill me. Uh, but the Lord judges Pharaoh, verse 17, the Lord afflicted Pharaoh and his house with great plagues. Now remember that's what has happened to the Israelites in the wilderness? They have just there were great plagues in Egypt, weren't they? They've just experienced that, uh, which we'll read about in the Exodus. But they've just come through great plagues upon Egypt, and here they're seeing this happened again many years earlier uh, with Abraham. Okay, so uh, what, what I want you to pick up here is that it does seem that Pharaoh does sleep with, with Sarah or Sarai at this point because he takes her and uh, it's an over an extended period of time um, because it tells us that Abraham is blessed and he gets animals and all sorts of things while this is going on. When we come to, come to chapter 20 it's very clear that Abimelech does not sleep with with Sarah. Uh, but already we are seeing, wait a minute, Abram's not such a great guy. For the sake of his own skin, he's willing to give his wife to another man. Okay. Um, now, maybe that's one of the things you've wondered about Genesis, because when you go through it, it's full of sexual immorality, incest, murder, sodomy. It's a nightmare. It's like it's, it's an absolute disaster. It's, it's worse than Bold and the Beautiful. And, uh, <laughs> it's like a proper soap opera. Uh, now, the point is not to say, because um, people could say, you know, how can you Christians, how can you, how can you look at, how can you read this? How can this be your religion? The whole point is to say not how great the people are, but how great God is, who would love people and use people who behave like this, okay? and that's the same today. God's grace that He He comes to. The broken, the sinful, the sh- the, those who have shame, as I mentioned last week. Okay, what happens with the, who's the He's the king of Gerar. So we'll we'll get there. Oh, okay. Yeah, we'll get to that, chapter 20. Okay, so uh, chapter 13, um, uh, we see that uh, Abraham continues to grow in wealth, and they go into the Negev the area of, of Israel, and... The Lord blesses Abram, verse two of chapter thirteen. Abram is very rich in livestock, and but he's got his his uh, son-in-law Lot here, or his, his nephew Lot, and uh, he also grows, and their possessions become great, and they 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 start to fight. The shepherds of the two families start to fight, and so they decide, look, we need to separate. Uh, verse eight. Then Abram said to Lot, "Let there be no strife between you and me, and between your herdsmen and my herdsmen." He's not the whole land before us and he says you you pick and so very gracious of abram to, to say lot you pick first you choose where you want to go Now, look at the language in verse 10 lot lifted up his eyes and saw that the jordan valley was well watered everywhere like the garden of the lord what's the garden of the lord garden of eden, garden of eden. so the moses reminds us of the garden of eden now remember, what was, it, what was one of the, the steps of Eve's fall when Satan offers says the tree? What is, it tells us that she, she looked, she saw. It was a fruit that was good to eat. And so uh, here, Lot, the language is the same. Lot again is judging by his senses, his physical senses, the same way Eve was judging by her physical senses. Um, And so, same for us, to be very careful. Remember, Scripture says, don't judge by appearance. Uh, We are not to, of course, the lust of the eyes, lust of the flesh, the pride of life, let's be very, very careful. He looks at it, and it's like the Garden of Eden. But, um, uh, we also find that, verse 12, Abraham said, Abram settled in the land of Canaan, while Lot settled among the cities of the valley and moved his tent as far as Sodom. So within this beautiful idyllic setting, Sodom and Gomorrah, and we are told there, now the men of Sodom were wicked, great sinners against the Lord. You see, so he judges by his physical sense. He doesn't say, wait a minute, this is... This is an evil place. This will will draw me down. What Paul says, remember Paul says, bad company corrupts good manners. Okay, So he doesn't think like that. He simply thinks on a physical level, and he sets his tent towards Sodom. Uh, Where do we find him next when we meet with him later on? Yeah, but he's where is he living? In Sodom. In, Sodom. in fact, he's even a, one of the leaders. He sits in the gate. Okay, so he's moved from living in a tent, sort of just looking towards Sodom, to actually moving into Sodom, and 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 becoming somebody in the city. Okay, now don't take this as reference to well, we shouldn't live in Johannesburg because it's wicked or something like that. That's not the application. <laughs> uh, there is a development of the city throughout Scripture that we'll, we'll look at uh, another time. But the principle here is Lot is not behaving in a spiritual way, in a godly way. Uh, okay. Verse 14, the Lord said to Abram after Lot had separated from him, lift up your eyes and look. And he tells him, look, wherever you look, I will give this land to you. The promised land. Okay, the land of Canaan. He says, you can go and walk it. I'm going to give it to you. Uh, chapter 14. Uh, there are these kings who, who come and they attack Solomon and Gomorrah and they take Lot captive. Um, verse 13 of chapter 14. Then the one who had escaped came and told Abram the Hebrew who was living by the oaks of Mamre the Amorite, brother of Eshcol and of Anah, these were allies of Abram. When Abram heard that his kinsmen had been taken captive, he led forth his trained men, born in his house, 318 of them, and went in pursuit as far as Dan. Okay, so quite quite a statement there. Shows you something of the wealth of Abram. That he has basically uh, a trained army, of 300, a personal army of 318 men. Okay? Uh, the wealth of the patriarchs is quite remarkable as you read through it. The, the wealth that the Lord gives them and blesses them with. So just a couple of things. First of all, in the Old Testament, the primary means of blessing was physical. Okay? Um, ordinarily, it's not a law because God's people also suffer and it doesn't mean they're unrighteous generally if if uh, if God blessed a person, it would be in a physical way and and that would be things like wealth, children, health those were sort of the 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 means of of blessing and those are remember we spoke last time shadows and types for us in the the new covenant the new covenant the blessing is primarily spiritual we are given the Holy Spirit we uh, we have the presence of God um, when God blesses someone um, it is primarily spiritual. It does not mean that you know physical things are not a blessing from God, so the other lesson is uh, wealth is not necessarily a a, a bad thing god 's people are sometimes blessed with wealth, but it's never to be an end in itself. Okay? God blesses so that you will bless others okay and we'll as we go through Scripture, we'll see that. But simply to say this, because some, some Christians swing either way, either to say, you know, if you're not wealthy, then you're a bad Christian. That's a lie. That's ungodly and has destroyed many people. Um, there are plenty of godly, poor people in the Scriptures. Paul himself had said he, 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 there were times where he abounded and times where he had nothing. He talks about being naked and, and hungry and starving. Uh, the Lord Jesus himself didn't have anywhere to lay his head. He didn't own a home. Uh, it, all of these things I can go on. but then there's other Christians who basically like well it's sinful to, to have money. That's also wrong um, because there are many wealthy people in Scripture and they use their wealth for for God's kingdom. okay so just just on that. okay so they go and they um, uh, rescue lot, with his army, and we meet this guy called Melchizedek. So, if you look at uh, chapter 17, after uh, sorry, verse 17 of chapter 14, after his return from the defeat of Kedeshimah and the kings who were with him, the king of Sodom went out to meet him at the valley of Sheba, and Melchizedek, king of Salem, brought out bread and wine. He was priest of God Most High. Okay, so we introduced to this figure, my um, love, can I get a, something to wipe with, please? Say. So, uh, Melchizedek. So, in Hebrew, Melech is king and Sidik is righteousness. So, his name means king of righteousness. But he's also, we are told, the king of Salem. Uh, so that so is... Salem is a place and then righteousness is a, a moral, I suppose. Uh, yeah, he's king of an actual place. He's he's king of a, a, a city called Salem. No, no. In this area. It actually becomes Jerusalem. Jeru. Salem, Salem is is shalom, peace. Okay, so he's king of peace and king of righteousness. Does that sound like somebody? The Lord Jesus. Okay, um, he's not the Lord Jesus, but he's very important because he's also the priest of God. Okay, and he meets with with uh, Abraham and he gives him bread and wine. Uh, It's symbolic of points us reminds us of communion. Uh, Abraham is blessed by Melchizedek. And he pays tithes to Melchizedek, indicating that Melchizedek is greater than Abraham. Okay, so quite something. We just he appears, then we don't hear of him again until the Psalms, when David says, You are a priest forever. After the order of Melchizedek, so how do we know he's not Jesus? Um, So what in in the scriptures says it directly that he's not Jesus? Because his name says (laughs) Jesus. Because because Jesus is a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek, it would be redundant to say Jesus is a priest after Jesus. So. uh, that's that's what happens in Hebrews. Hebrews, we're told that Jesus is a priest. Now, we'll look at that when we get to the book of Hebrews. So you have to stay at least till Hebrews <laughs> if you want to find out uh, what's going on here. But just remember this: this man, very, very, actually a very important theological um, uh, point is, is or, or position, or understanding that comes through this man Melchizedek. In fact, if there was, if this was not around. Everything would pretty much fall apart about our claims about the Lord Jesus Christ. Okay. Chapter 15, God renews this covenant with Abraham. Remember chapter 12, he called him. Chapter 15, he, he renews it. He says, verse verse 1: After these things the word of the Lord came to Abraham in a vision. Fear not, Abraham, I am your shield. Your reward shall be very great. And so beautiful picture here. The Lord says, I am your shield, your reward will be very great. Some translations I quite like say, I am your shield and your exceeding great reward. So the Lord says, I am your reward, uh, which, which, I, which I, I appreciate. But it's nice the Lord says shield because, again, we have an imagery of, of what God will do for his people. He is, he is our shield, and a shield takes the blows, doesn't it? Uh, and that's what we see Christ doing. Christ, Christ takes the wrath of God in our place. He takes the punishment that we deserve. In fact, the theological term propitiation has the idea, so let's say this is us, all those who believe. Um, propitiation means to fully bear the wrath of God and to then turn it away from us. And that's what Christ does at Calvary. He is our shield. He protects us from the wrath of God that should fall upon us. Abraham then says to the Lord, look, I I don't have any children. Remember the Lord said to him, you know, you're going to be the father of many nations, all of these things. And he's like, I don't have any children. What's going on? Um, And so the Lord says, come outside, look at the stars. Your offspring will be as numerous as the stars and the sand of the sea and all of these things. And then we're told this fantastic verse, verse 6, and he believed the Lord and he counted it to him as righteousness or credited it to him as righteousness. And so we, we find here, and this is a very important verse for Paul in Romans and Galatians when defending the gospel. We are not saved by works. We're not saved by law keeping. Paul will say, Abraham is converted hundreds, hundreds of years, 400 years before the law comes. Okay? So, uh, we're not saved by law keeping. We're saved simply by believing what God says. Abraham believed God's promise, and it is credited to his account as righteousness. He is declared righteous. And that's the, the glorious gospel. Simply believing what God says about who we are and what he has done in Christ, entrusting your life to him, repenting of sin, means you are credited as righteous. You are declared righteous. As righteous as the Lord Jesus Christ him, himself. And so here, here we, we see it's never, never, ever been. Some, some Christians will say, oh, in the Old Testament they were saved by being good. Now we're saved by believing in Jesus. It's never been. Nobody can ever be good enough. It's always salvation by trusting in what God has said. Okay. Verse 7, And he said to him, I am the Lord who brought you out from Ur of the Chaldeans to give you the, this land to possess. But he said, O oh Lord God, how am I to know that I shall possess it? And he's told to bring these animals. This is very strange maybe to our ears. He's told to bring these animals animals and then he's told to cut the animals in half okay and so there is like a pathway between the animals so it's very gory and gruesome and maybe strange to to our ears but in this the ancient near eastern world this was normal okay this was a way that they concluded contracts so or covenants so um uh, a covenant is a is a one theologian calls it a bond in blood. Okay. So it is a, a a binding contract, but it's not the same as sort of your gym contract. Okay, it's although it's hard to get out of gym contracts. Like <laughs> not not with <that> you. <laughs> uh, it's uh so it's it's a bond in blood. It means if you don't keep this, death. So it's very similar to what we would do as children. Say, "Cross my heart and hope to die." Okay, very foolish thing to say, but but we used to do that. Obviously, no one ever enforced it, as far as I know. <laughs> I <don't> know. <laughs> Unless you're from the south, okay? <laughs> uh, uh, so I don't I don't think. But what we're saying is, if I, I I'm saying, if if I'm lying, let me die. If I if I this is not true, if I don't keep my word, let me die. That's what's going on here. That's what the contracts were like. The covenants were 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 bonds in blood. The closest we come to it is a marriage vow. Okay? Till death, us do part. We're, we're saying this is forever. The only thing that will separate us is death. Okay? So um He's told to cut these animals, verse 12, as the sun was going down, a deep sleep fell on Abram, and behold, dreadful and great darkness fell upon him. It's not that he falls asleep because it's really boring. The the picture here is one of terror. Um, he He is petrified. The dreadful darkness comes upon him. Because the covenant is, you will have many children, and you will get the land. Abram's saying, how will I know this will happen? And the Lord says, go get some animals, cut them in half. He knows exactly what that means. What would happen is, so if Ricardo and I made a contract, a serious contract, we cut the animals, we both walk through the animals between the pieces, saying, if either of us break this, what happened to these animals must happen to me. It's a frightening thing. You can imagine Abram is petrified. I... How can he ensure that his wife falls pregnant? He, he can't do that. How can he ensure that he conquers this whole land? He can't do that. But he's expecting that's what's going to happen now. He's going to have to walk these, through these pieces and, and, and keep this covenant. But what we find is he doesn't, he doesn't walk between them. Question. Yeah, the no, oh, sorry. Fifteen. Uh, Chapter 15. And here the Lord tells Abram, look, verse 13, Know for certain that your offspring will be sojourners in a land that is not theirs, and will be servants there, and they will be afflicted for 400 years. So here it's the prophecy of their enslavement. But I will bring judgment on the nation that they serve, and afterward they shall come out with great possessions. As for yourself, you shall go to your fathers in peace and shall be buried in a good old age. And they shall come back here in the fourth generation for the iniquity of the Amorites is not yet complete. So an important phrase there. Um, Again, remember the initial audience. The children of Israel in the wilderness. And they are going to be told to go and conquer the land of Canaan where all these tribes stay. The Amorites are there. Now, we must not confuse what happens with Israel to sort of a holy war where Israel was supposed to just go and conquer the nations. They were only called to conquer the people in this specific piece of land and it was an act of divine judgment. It was not colonizing. It was not, um, you know, this is stage one and then we've got to take over other parts and, and grow the empire. It was nothing like that. God was using Israel as an instrument of his judgment on these nations. Very important because after this, it stops. Yes. Sorry, we're going to like backtrack. This yes. Question. Sure. So, may um, I please ask why Abram didn't cut the birds in half, in verse 10? Yes. <laughs> Somebody else asked me that before, and I meant to look it up, but I, I, don't, I don't have a clever answer. All I know is that in the sacrifices, you know, birds were were um, also used. Um, but I don't, I don't have a clever answer to that. But they were dead, so I suppose it, it's also symbolic of death. Well, not somebody. Yeah, it is. It's actual death. <laughs> uh, but yeah, I, was, uh, I meant to look it up because uh, somebody else has asked me that before. Um, okay, so here we are told. The Lord says, I'm not going to judge the people now because their iniquity is not yet full. They have not yet reached the place for me to to come in and judgment. It's going to take about 400 years and then their iniquity will be full the time for judgment will have come by that time even at this time some of these people are are friends with abraham okay? they, they 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 want to give him land they want to help him and remember the promise those who bless you i will bless those who curse you i will curse at this point abraham is still a friend they they still bless him and the, yes the the inhabitants of the land of canaan many of them are are very good to him and so there's no harm that, that comes upon them. Um, but by the time, 400 years later, we do know that they are doing horrific things. They, they would sacrifice their children to Moloch. And Moloch, we know, we understand, was a huge statue made out of metal that they would have hands open like this, that they would, they would heat up red hot. They would take the babies and throw them onto the the hands of this, this statue, this God that they worshipped. So by the time this comes, it is a land full of violence and depravity. And, and just as we saw with the flood, and we, we'll see with Sodom and Gomorrah, God says enough is enough. It's time for judgment. And in this specific inst- instance, he uses Israel as an instrument of judgment. Okay. Yes. Yes. Thank you. How did they become so bad? Yeah. Um, I don't. I don't know the history because the, the Bible sign it. All I know is human nature. So, so the, the what the Bible calls the depravity of man is that we 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 tend to be to get worse rather than better. Um, yeah. Okay, so verse seventeen, when the sun had gone down and it was dark, behold a smoking fire pot and a flaming torch passed between these pieces, so uh, you have smoke and fire um, passing now, where else do we see like a cloud of fire and a or a pillar of fire and a pillar of it's it, it, in the wilderness and it's the Lord. So the the Jews call the pillar of smoke or cloud and the pillar of fire the legs of God. And so this here is symbolic because these two things pass between the the, the pieces of the animals. No, no it's not it's not this it's not as massive as the ones uh, but it's symbolic it's, it's representative of God. And so it is is that the the two parties are God and Abram, but only one party passes between the pieces. So God takes it upon himself to say, "I will fulfill this covenant myself." Yes. All right. Question: um, God tells Abram that they will be in for four hundred years, but they will stay for four hundred thirty years. How do we describe the difference of thirty years? Uh, yeah, I I mean, I, we talk like that all the time, we round off, um, it's not a I, I don't, yeah, I don't think it's a, no, so the scriptures often do that, they round, round up or down with numbers, um, and we, <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> so, and that's also natural language, um, so I don't think it's a, uh, a discrepancy, um, Okay, so uh, where are we? So he passes through saying, I will fulfill the the, um, the covenant at my own cost. If I don't fulfill it, let this happen to me. Uh, and of course, at Calvary, what we see is that the Lord himself lays down his life. We are the covenant breakers. We are the ones who don't... Uh, don't obey God we don't love him with all of our heart mind soul strength we break his commandments we don't honor our parents we don't uh, we lie we steal we lust we're greedy we covet all of those things and we are the ones who should die as covenant breakers but at Calvary the the Lord himself really what happened what you know if you break the covenant you should die the Lord takes that upon himself and dies in our in our place, so all the way through, we're going to see with these covenants is that the Lord promises to fulfill them, even at the expense of His life. Of course, as God, He cannot die, but as a man, He can, and He enters into this world as a man and lays down His His life uh, to ensure that these promises are fulfilled, that every promise that He makes is fulfilled in the Lord Jesus Christ. Yes, Lord. Allows and um, race till their iniquity for so full. Do you think God is showing us that his judgment is just by waiting that we can see how evil like custom can be? Yeah, very good. So the, the question is uh God waiting for the Amorites for their iniquity to be full is a display of God's justice that he he doesn't judge before the time, he judges at the right time, definitely. And that's one of the things people miss, because generally people think with the Old Testament, oh, God is just going around judging people. And um, and people tend to think that, and there's even like bad theologies where you know, there's two different gods. There's a the God of the Old Testament who's nasty, and then there's the God of the New Testament who's loving. Uh, that's not true at all. The God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. If anything, it's almost the other way around, because... All the prophecies in the Old Testament are of the hope of a, a redeemer. In the New Testament, it is the judgment that is to come. Okay? But let me just say this. When you read, if you start reading Genesis and go through to Malachi and you read it through quickly, it seems like God is judging a lot. But once you spread it out over thousands of years, then you see, my goodness, how patient God is. He waits with Israel for centuries before judging them, with, with, the, with the southern kingdom for more centuries. He is so patient. Remember the Lord Jesus says in one of the... He says, you have been, you were sent prophet after prophet after prophet after prophet. He is incredibly patient. And, that, and when we get to one of my favorite passages next week, we'll see when God tells us what he's like, Exodus 34. He is slow to anger. And so the Amorites who deserve to even then just be wiped out are not. He is patient with them. And Paul says uh, in Romans that the goodness of God should lead us to repentance. You know, that we should see well, God, you're so patient. Um, I'm sure you know, we could all say, well, let me just say I could say, sure, the Lord should have taken me out as a teenager. <laughs> Like, but he has been so patient with me um, and, and kind to me. So definitely that's, yeah, that's really helpful. There. It, it's a display that God is so patient and kind. While we read these things of judgment, he does judge because he's righteous. He's good. He must deal with iniquity, but he, he is long-suffering. He waits and he waits. Um, okay. So, chapter sixteen. Um, uh, we have the story of Hagar, and here again we see some, some, some again some strange things for us at that time. Not so strange. So it seems sort of uh, that if a, a lady, especially a wealthy lady, could not have children, that her her servant, her handmaiden. Would be given to her husband, and it would be sort of seen that it's through her. Uh, in fact, this is not proven, but some some have said, well, that even as the 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 servant gives birth, the wife would be sort of like right next to her, as though she were giving birth. Okay, that's not fully proven, but that is is uh, some some theologians have said that might might have been what happened as an idea to say this is all this is my child, okay. But of course it's very disturbing, but remember the ancient Near Eastern world is one of shame uh, and honor, so tremendous shame if you don't have children, so um, you do anything to try and and e- even if it's it's you know someone close to you to try and, and get children um, but it's, it's a disaster, okay? and one of the things you'll see as you go through Genesis is that all of these things are disasters. Polygamy is a disaster. Um, this idea of sort of concubine, and it's, it happens all the way through. You'll see it with um, Jacob and his two wives and their, their handmaidens. And, but it, of course, it's going to cause friction within strife, within the family, jealousy, all of these things. Uh, again, is, it's an absolute disaster. On a human level, I mean, the parenting, there's favoritism, there's all sorts of problems, which all says God is great. Okay? That he would love people like this. And you know, he calls himself the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. He's not ashamed to be their God. And when you read their lives, you're like, I would be ashamed to be associated with these people. Um, but then, you know, we look at ourselves and we think, wait, okay, if I'm honest, it's the same. And yet, if you're a Christian, then God is not ashamed to be your God. It's incredible. Um, I always use the example of, um, I have a younger sister. So, you know, when you're at that sort of cool age, teenager year, just didn't want my I didn't I didn't want people to know I had a sister that she was my sister it was embarrassing I was ashamed of her okay you know God is not ashamed of us it's incredible like he's not ashamed to be our god and yet we we sin and it wasn't because of her my sister's sin or anything it was just it wasn't cool uh, <laughs> But we're actually sinful, and yet he's not ashamed of us. It's a, the gospel isn't... Yeah, a teacher, a teenager, wants to parents to drop him off a block away. Yes. Or anyone see the car that you drive, right. <laughs> drop me around the corner. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so... Um, uh, but a, a child is born, and uh, it's Ishmael. Um and that becomes important later on in Romans. Uh, we we'll, we might we might chat about that. Okay, chapter seventeen. Yes. yes. Yeah, so so the, the Muslims will swap Isaac and Ishmael around. Yeah. Okay, so um yeah. I know mean, we we know those that both the religions come from anyway, but Do they swap them around? Yeah. So so Ishmael is the child of promise. Um, just to say on that, so that is a common a uh, common sort of statement is the, the manuscripts are being corrupted. Okay. So um, now people can say anything. I mean, I can you can throw things like that out. You need to prove it. So we have thousands of manuscripts, massive manuscript evidence. We have more manuscripts, but by, by a million percent, the the, the Bible is the most well attested ancient document by far. Like we have, you know, sort of twelve copies of Julius Caesar's writings or Herodotus or something, and people nobody questions who wrote it. We have thousands of of manuscripts and fragments from the scriptures. It is, as I said, by far. And none of them anywhere have, you know, a swap between Isaac and Ishmael. Um, So, you know, you can't just throw those things out. You need to prove it. And there is no evidence of it. And, of course, such a massive thing would have been preserved. Um, So, just to say that. Yes, Duncan. Not the same, no. So, Ishmael is from Hagar. Also... Abraham is the father, so he descended from Abraham, but not, not the child of promise, because God had promised that Abraham and Sarah would have a child. And he's called the child of promise because it's a miraculous um, conception, because they, they could not have children. So God had to intervene, and it's, a, it's symbolic of Christ, because Christ is a virgin birth. So it's, it's, uh, it's pointing us towards Christ. Yes, Ricardo. Question from online. Uh, why was it easy for the angels of the Lord to appear to Hagar and many others in the Bible than it is now? Question. Uh, what forms did these angels appear? Okay. So, yeah, so as you read Genesis, you will see the angel of the Lord or angels appearing to people, appears to Hagar, to Abraham. Uh, so, the I would argue the reason for it is that they, there's there's no scriptures, so they don't have they don't have um, God's revelation through scripture. So the way God would would communicate with people is through through angels or through himself coming, as we mentioned last time, Christophanes. So, and now we have the scriptures. So. Um, uh, it 's not to say that an angel can 't appear, but remember what paul says if an even an angel comes and preaches another gospel, let him be accursed. so just be careful you know don 't don 't be on the lookout for that and if they 're coming in telling you now this is just a bonus the, if you look at most cults, they started with some guy having a vision of a, an angel. an angel told me um, and so yeah, the angel. Sorry. It almost becomes angel worship. Yeah. Uh well I don't know if they worship the angels, but they the message claims to be from God, but it contradicts the scriptures, which means it's not a true angel, it's well it's not, it's a fallen angel, it's demonic. Yeah. Hello? Um, so with Hegel specifically it's like was well, she like a second wife to Abraham? And, and that that's that was simple like you should never have married. Yeah, she's not. A, she's not taken as a wife. She's not taken as a wife. Yeah, you have this sort of very ungodly the Concept of a surrogate. A, but you know, someone carries a baby or a or yeah. couple. Yeah, that's sort of the idea. But yeah, in this situation, he actually sleeps with her. Um, so he sins. Like, yeah. Okay, chapter 17. So 12, 15, and 17 are the three chapters where we get information about God's covenant with Abraham. Uh, Now, in chapter 17, we're told when Abraham was 99 years old. Okay, so I think we are introduced to him when he's 75. Uh, He's 99, so what's that, 24 years later. Still no kid with Sarah. It's a long time, you know, God has promised and nothing's nothing's happened. The Lord appeared to Abram and said to him, I am God Almighty. Walk before me and be blameless that I may make my covenant between me and you and may multiply you greatly. Okay, so uh, we don't have time tonight, but over the series we'll look at the covenants in more detail. But in, in theological circles there are debates about some of the covenants are... Um, uh, works based and some are grace so um, some some will say no there's no works involved in it and others will say no there are there are things that need to be done I'd argue that that all the covenants have both um, that so here Abram is told to do something do you see that walk before me and be blameless that I may fulfill my covenant with you okay. now, um, even in the New Covenant, we are saved by grace, not by works. But if that's all we were told, the New Testament would be a lot shorter. But the New Testament is full of commands. How we are to live. Okay? Um, to love one another, to not lie to one another, not steal from one another. The way we talk to one another, our speech, our actions, our, um, all of these things we are called to to obey. Okay, So just remember that. Yes, sure Question from Why was there such a long period of time between the promise and the So, so it had to be, it had to be. Well, I think there's several things. One, it had to be humanly impossible. It had to be. No one could say, ah, oh, you know, you know. Sometimes you hear nowadays you'll say, oh, she's fifty and she fell pregnant. That's very rare, but it does does happen occasionally. But you would never hear, oh, she's 99 and she's fallen pregnant. Okay, that that you would say, you know, something else is going on here. Okay, so I think it has to be that they're so old that it's it's there's no doubt, this is God. Okay, but then the other thing is that God has a right to test us. Okay, He never tempts us, but He tests us. James says that, and so it's a test of Abraham's faith. Um, we see he's, he's wobbled, hasn't he? With Hagar, but he he keeps going, um, and we'll see that when it comes to Isaac, he is he's a giant of the faith because of what he's willing to do. Okay, so um, we'll come back to that later on about covenants being conditional or unconditional when we have more time, but uh, not tonight. So um, okay, so. Uh, Isaac's birth is promised uh, at the end of chapter 17. Um, the the angels come and visit, and they say they're going to, to um, have a child. And uh, verse 17 of chapter 17 says, Then Abraham fell on his face and laughed. Uh, and said to himself, shall a child be born to a man who is 100 years old? Shall Sarah, who is 90 years old, bear a child? And Abraham said to God, oh, that Ishmael might live before you. God said, no, but Sarah, your wife, shall bear you a son, and you shall call his name Isaac. And if you look at the footnote, what does Isaac mean? He laughs. Okay. So you'll notice there that Abraham laughed Remember, he hit his face. When he said, you're going to have a child, he laughed. There's sort of God's humor here. Actually, you're going to call your son laughter because you are going to have a son. (laughs) Uh, And um, so he's promised, Isaac is promised. Um, And then, chapter 18, uh, we come to the account of Sodom and Gomorrah. And uh, Abraham intercedes for Sodom and Gomorrah. He says, If there's 50 righteous, uh, this is chapter 18, Will you still destroy it? If there's uh, 40 righteous? And he goes all the way down to 10 and the Lord says, if there's ten righteous, I won't destroy Sodom and Gomorrah. Um, he, so there's debate on what's going on here is is Abraham trying to trying to um, change God's mind? or is he trying to understand the principle of God's judgment so does that make sense so is he trying to understand like at what level when do you judge when do you judge the city if there's 50 righteous there's 40 righteous and then he gets all the way down to 10 so i mean what you can see is that it, and and you know the story that there's not there's less than 10 <laughs> So God does destroy them. But you can see that this is a, these are massive cities. It's not a light thing for God to destroy them. If there were 50 righteous, he wouldn't destroy them. There were 40 righteous. It's become so bad that the only option is for God to, to destroy them. You're going to be testing how strong God's grace is. Yes. By uh, making it lower and lower. Just, uh, I wonder how much grace you actually have probably. Yeah, he's wondering to say, yeah, because if there were 50 righteous and God would still destroy them. But it's actually, if there were 10, I would not destroy them. It's, it's something has to get so bad before God destroys, like we saw with the flood. It was so bad that there was, you know, one family left that was, was, was righteous. And then God acts. So again, you see his grace. Destroying—it's not as though God is like, oh, I can't wait to destroy Sodom and Gomorrah, you know. I just—it's—it's it's, uh, a, a God who takes no pleasure in the death of the wicked. Okay. So it's—it's it's showing us. It's as though as though Abraham's trying to understand what principle is at work here. So I think let's take a break there. Oh, sorry, one more question. Sorry, can I also be? I've heard someone say that if everyone said one righteous um God may we would have said yes, word if there's one and that is what God with Jesus who is one right person in God. All, can we not make for that line? Uh yeah, I'm not sure. I don't I don't think the text puts it that because that would imply that Abraham should have said one, and then God would have saved Sodom and Gomorrah, and so he's sort of in the wrong for not going that low. But, but the Lord sort of stops it at ten. Um, so I, I don't think. I, d- I don't know if I would. I would. Go that way. Yeah. Um, okay. So we'll take a short break, and then see everyone just now.